Welcome back to the Canadian Gun Vault Behind the Vault Door. My name is Mark Morelli. I'll be your podcast host. Joining me today is a longtime friend of mine, uh, Nick, uh, also known as the Webley Guy. <laughs> to those of you that have seen him online, he is the uh, quintessential Webley collector and uh, true Webley aficionado in my life. And uh, certainly, I, don't, I, I love the design myself, and uh, I've always had an affinity for these guns, but uh, nobody even comes close to you. Uh, I, well, well, hold on. T- tiny, Mike, tiny Mike may have. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't he's know. he's don't trying know. to buy for that spot, but you know what, though? I, I think that you may have him beat. So, you know, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show. No problem. It's, I'm glad to be here. It's uh, good to be here again. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I love when you're around. It's always a good time. And you know what? I, I've uh, <clears throat> gone into the vault. And I can see I, that. I've pulled out. A, I've that. pulled out a couple of items for you. And uh, you know, certainly. Uh, Which one of them was previously mine? I'm gonna add that. You know, it's your own. It's your own fault, man. <laughs> I, I told you. I. You know what? That. that let's actually. Let's start there. You wanna start there? Okay. Right, we're gonna start there. So, uh, what? What are we? What are we looking at in front of us right so now? So right now we're looking at a Webley Mark IV. Okay. This one is lovely. 38 Smith and Wesson. No, it's not 38 Special. Don't even try to put 38 Special yeah. on this. Um, it's probably one of the most beautiful. Uh, war finishes I've seen with the bluing on it. Yeah. Dig, <sighs> digging that. You know what? Hey, man. You, you, you know what? I he, know. I know that. Okay. He who hesitates. <laughs> we all have a friend out there that, you know, <clears throat> you know, didn't quite move quickly enough and or, you know, made the mistake <laughs> of uh, allowing their other friend to buy something that they wanted. Right? I'm not giving that thing back ever. I know. I know. All I'm right. Not. So, so, so what we're looking at is, uh, in my opinion, you know, uh, uh, probably a classic World War II uh, sidearm. It was found on like every every sidearm of uh, the U- the UK yeah. and Canadians and Canadians. Okay, yep. and, and and so you got a little, you know, uh, <clears throat> sub. Uh, you know, 200 grain pill. Like, it, it, I think it was ideally supposed to be used with 200 grain yes, 200 projectiles, grain, yeah. and they're they're moving out at you know somewhere in the neighborhood of what 650, Six, 650 to make close to seven, like seven. maybe like if it hits seven. Okay, so so basically, you know, the ballistic equivalent of a, a light 38. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, uh, kind of a heavy bullet. I, I wonder if it would even tumble in flight. I've heard rumors that they it, would tumble. Yes, they they but they're they crush bones. Like yeah. that's the thing is they're going slow, but they're they're just Bone crushers. Okay, so you you know you got a thirty caliber uh, projectile, thirty eight caliber projectile, moving at a you know subsonic speed. It makes contact with something like a collarbone or a pelvis. It'll just shatter it, and it would it would probably shatter it. Uh, the projectiles were probably lead. Mm-hmm. And it's, of course, a top break design. Which yes, is, it is, yeah. You know, My and, favorite design. Well, you know, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about. And see, we've done a lot of political talk lately. God knows we've had, you know, our fair share of conversations about Justin Trudeau, gun oh, laws. But, but, you know, I want to return to... Uh, a simpler time. Well, you know, getting <laughs> getting back to the things we love and why. Yeah. And, and that's that's the reason I invited you here today is because I thought to myself, you know what, let's start to talk about the other side of this thing and, and, and why we love the things we do. Because I think a lot of people don't understand uh, what it is that gun owners enjoy about firearms. Like I look at this thing and I see a metal, a functioning metal piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see something that's uh, significant, you know, historically, um, you know, as a retired police officer, you know, this is the kind of item that, that may have been carried at some point. Toronto Police Service carried them. You know, well, the Toronto Police Service had a very small, limited um, run contract 
uh, from Webley to, mm-hmm. to make, uh, you know, a few thousand pistols or whatever. Back I think it was like day. two or 3,000. That's it. Yeah. And, and they were, of course, um, prohibited items. Mm-hmm. You know, they had barrels that were uh, less than four and a half inches in length. So they can't be owned and appreciated by collectors uh, today under the current system that's in place. Uh, something I'd like to see change. In the I would love years. to own one, like I said. You know, well, I, I actually, through an extended collection, I actually do have it. I know. I know. I've seen it. I've seen it. And I've shot it. And and it's, it, again, it is probably one of the nicest 38 uh, caliber. That's that's really the reason why I was kind of hoping that you were going to pass <laughs> on this one is because I don't get to see that one that often. It's, uh, you know, it's owned by another. And, you uh, you know, I have that, that collection is held in trust, uh, you know, for me and you have uh, attachment to it. Yeah. I have an attachment to it. And I, and I, and more importantly, I really love, you know, the idea of owning something that was issued to a Toronto police officer mm-hmm. back in, you know, 1950, uh, I guess this contract was generated for Webley pistols and, uh, the Toronto police specifically, uh, and, and on the bottom of the grips, it's marked TPF and um, usually had a badge number. Yeah. Toronto police force. And then it has a, a badge number mm-hmm. and, and when I saw an opportunity to acquire, you know, that great piece of police history, mm-hmm. uh, firearm history, and, you know, something that uh, a police officer, a Canadian police officer would have carried Got to own, yep. and to have it be a Webley to boot. I, I just, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't pass on the opportunity, you know, to have that, own that, fire that, and uh, to be able to visit it anytime I want, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, to uh, have my friend arrive at the range with it and uh, just have some nice light 38 special. <laughs> Playing sorry, with it all. 38 Smith & Wesson. Yeah, see, it messed you out. Yeah, well, you know, people people don't understand that, you know, 38 Smith & Wesson was the uh, official police cartridge uh, for, for, for many years. For years, for yeah. years, yeah. They, they, they upgraded from the 32 Smith mm-hmm. & Wesson, which was much smaller and less powerful. And, and believe it or not, there was some kind of event involving police where there was a runaway pig, is the story that I'm told. Really? And and they used 38, <laughs> uh, sorry, 32 Smith & Wesson cartridges uh, on this runaway pig, and in and it wasn't powerful enough. They dumped them down. They dumped, yeah, they dumped a lot Jeez. of uh, bullets into this, you know, uh, pig. And during this, you know, event, whatever warranted shooting the pig, I don't know. <laughs> but it was then that they determined that they needed something more powerful. So 38 Smith and Wesson and 38 Special, you know, uh, were, were the were the answers. And then of course, you know, as time went on in the United States, you know, things like the 357 Magnum, mm-hmm. you know, evolved and and came into the picture and uh, was a much more effective, you know, uh, fight stopper. And you know. And then, of course, you know, the 9mm. Yes, Wonder 9s yes, came yeah, in. Wonder 9s came in. And, and 45 never went out of fashion for the people out there oh, that God, love their money. 45's been sitting there forever. Yeah, you know what? I, 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 yeah, I'm going to get you I'm gonna get you to bring that one out. But but, <laughs> but but I want to ask you, you know, like, I know you love the Webley design. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? For the people out there that don't know what it's like, um, you know, to shoot a Webley revolver, it's a lot of fun. Oh, and, it's, it's and, so much fun. And, and I'll just, I'll give a just a little description. There's a lever on the left-hand side of the receiver that you depress. And if you've ever had one of those cap guns, if you're a kid from the 70s oh, 100%. and 80s and you ever had a cap gun or a Crossman revolver, um, 357 Magnum revolver, <laughs> you know, that th- was, uh, you know, chambered in 177 uh, same pellets. Lever. It was the same lever. It was, it was the same lever. You push, you push on this lever on the side of the gun and the gun would break in half, essentially, uh, pivoting at a point in the frame. And you would load the, uh, the ammunition 
into uh, the revolver that way and then snap it shut. It's not it's not the strongest design. Uh, no, it can't. Ha- it cannot handle modern loads. No, like you know, like it wouldn't. You would want to fire really, really powerful ammunition through something like that. But what is it about the Webley uh, that, that fascinates you so? Like, I mean, like you really have an affinity for these guns. What is it about them? This I, is where this is all you. Come I don't. On. I don't know. Like, it's just. It's why does someone love? Um, Different, different cars. Let's say some yeah. people like the Camaro, some people like Ferraris, some people like the the Challenger. Yeah. Like it's it's all on on how you see it in your own eyes, right? Yeah. Some people say these that oh they're it's just a death machine that was killing people in, on the on the battlefield. Mm. And it's like, no, this this thing is a piece of artwork that someone took the time to polish every piece, every screw, every bolt, the the cylinders, which is unshaved, because people who shave cylinders on Webleys deserve a special <laughs> place in hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for people that don't know, <laughs> Webleys, Webleys are, of course, they were a military issue and, and, and police issue sidearm that eventually entered into the civilian market. And, and with the... Um, uh, lack of ammunition that was out there. Some people thought to modify the guns to fire ammunition that was a little bit more readily available that would fit into it. If you if you um, shave material off the cylinder face, effectively, you know, uh, modifying the gun, changing the gun from its original form, damaging its value. Yes. Uh, you know, for for the diehard you know collectors <laughs> out there, it is the cardinal sin. And, and and of course, when you shaved uh, certain Webleys like four five five caliber Webleys to shoot forty five. ACP, ACP ammunition, which was everywhere uh, back in the and day. It was cheap. It was Dirt. cheap. Uh, what people didn't realize was uh, using, you know, factory ammunition could result, and in many cases did result, in firearms blowing up mm-hmm. and in in, in 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 destroying the uh, your hand and the gun and the gun potentially. I, I've heard of a couple of Webleys blowing up on guys like yep. that. You know, yep. getting a little ham fisted with with reloads. You do have to be careful with these things, folks. They're they are vintage collectible. The, you know, the metals are older, uh, but some of them are beautiful, like the one that you've got in your hand. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like that one. I got to admit, I, I have yet to fire it still. Really? Yeah. You know what? It's 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 in the cards this week. I'm going to get that thing out take to the line, down. and uh, I think Black Powder Dave and I are going to get gonna out there. It, well, if, unless you're free. I, I mean, you I'm a, let me know. You call. You know me. what? I'll give you. I'll give you a call show. Me. But like hearing you talk about it, like I know how you feel about these things. Like, is it the design? Is it the simplicity it's, of it all? It's the simplicity of it and how effective it was for being. It was it was advancement. It was the double action, single action. It had a trigger that was eight pound fricking trigger could yeah. burn your finger and everyone then, complained about it, then, yeah. but it, it stopped whatever was coming at these people. So a German soldier was coming running, running at you, boom, gone that you could crush, you could crush it and they would stop them in their tracks and save your life. Well, you know, and, and, and I look at it, I think, I think that, you know, the, uh, top break Webley design probably represented kind of like the, the kind of evolution of revolvers in a way because 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 revolvers revolvers were not the kind of thing that you could reload fast like you had to you know swing out a cylinder and kick out kick out kick out the ammo using the ejection rod whereas with the webley design when you push that lever and you break the gun open uh in half let's hear if you can hear it hold on yeah it's the, the, the it's got it's got this um 
portion of the cylinder face that pops up and actually kicks out the spent casings all at once. And I, I guess, you know, you would have a real hard time if you had fired, you know, two or three shots and you wanted to reload, you'd actually spill some live ones on the ground. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there, there were some shortcomings to the design, but in terms of like, you know, if you popped off six rounds real fast and you busted this thing open, you could drop in and they even had speed loaders. They, they, they had speed loaders. They, yep. Like in World War One, like that's, that's the other thing yep. the, the Webley design was around during the time of like World War One and, and earlier. And the uh, Boer Wars. The Boer and the Boer Wars. Wars. Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, uh, uh, you got to remember, folks, that that was back when revolvers were, you know, uh, very underpowered and certainly, you know, semi-automatics were not uh, anywhere, you know, uh, anywhere at that time. Well, they would existed, but they were they were kind of unproven technology on the battlefield. They mm -hmm. were, you know, complicated in many cases, you know, uh, too busy, too busy. Yeah. And, and people and people wouldn't have trusted them as much uh, to have a revolver that you could reload quickly without fumbling around with, you know, loose rounds. Loose round. Yeah. You know, and, and I talked to the old cops that still shot revolvers in the 80s and, and, and right into the uh, earliest 90s and they used to tell me about you know speed loaders you know were kind of a blessing because they used to load from like pouches with oh loose God. rounds and I, I can't even imagine doing Dude, that especially in the middle of a firefight yeah like, you know I tried loading so, one like, at a time you know I got I got a buddy Carlo he tells me how they used to you know uh, go into the, their pocket. They would just have loose rounds in their Jeez. pocket or in a pouch <laughs> and it was like man like you guys must have not been in much uh, much uh, many firefights back then are much trouble. Like I wouldn't have trusted my life to that, but, but, but seeing this Webley in your hand, I like, I, I see you looking at it. I see you. I see, I see you. I see you. Like, you're not getting it back. Oh my so it's labeled war finish yes. on the side mm -hmm. and, and, but it's so glossy and, and, and the, the bluing is really rich on this design. You know, this, this particular example, um, you know, what, what is it? Like I, I thought war finishes were kind of rough. So mm -hmm. war finishes were made during the time of world war two where it was all about quickness. So, so they were not polishing. They weren't blowing these rounds. Yeah. Like, um, so then why is this one so shiny then? Honestly, the best, the best I can think of was this thing was coming at the beginning of the war. Yeah. Where they were still figuring out what the hell is a war finish? Do we still blew it? Do we... Oh, that could be a transition piece. Then. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Now that I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, holy smokes... It makes more sense as to what I was actually thinking. Yes. Well, the, the markings are still very clear. Like, yes. I mean, like, oh, there's always the possibility it's been reblued, and I mean that that wasn't uncommon. You know, like. But it's not though. You can see the pieces here around the cylinder are still war finished, like where they weren't polished completely. Yeah. And by the uh, the back spring here that opens up. Yeah. If you can see, I don't know, all the lighting. Yeah. So if you see it right there. Oh. See how it's still yeah. all all shaved and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and war yeah. finishy. Yeah. It was all about saving time. Yeah. They wanted to get it, pump out as many guns as they can as quickly as they can. And at the beginning of the war, they were still figuring out how long it's going to take. Mm -hmm. And so they were still bluing guns. And then as you see here, I know you're, the, the finish on this gun is gone. Yeah. But this is the way they were sent out after. No blue, just straight metal. Really? If it was ruined, it didn't matter. They, they didn't care. Well, I, I got to tell you, interestingly enough, um, you know, we put down the... Uh, <clears throat> the Mark IV, which is a smaller, a much smaller gun than the one that you're currently holding in your hand, because I, I did bring up 
uh, another another unit. And uh, this is this is of course one of my personal. This is your favorite. favorite. You know, this it's is my it's my, my personal favorite. I I really I really uh, wanted to have a, a 455 caliber Webley, and for anybody out there that's never tried one, they are so much fun. You um, need to try one. You need, you to, need, try, to, try need one. to try. You need to try one. There's probably never been a more uh, pleasant shooting large caliber experience uh, out there. So it works the same way uh, that the much smaller Mark IV does. But the Mark VI, which was created earlier, I might yes, add. Yes. Yep. 1916. Uh, yeah, the, the the Mark VI. This one is 1916. 19, that one's Mark 1916. And if you look at the handle uh, on the grip, rather on the uh, on the one side here, you can see these these three very notches. distinctive notches on. Yeah, so that that gun. <laughs> we that can gun, speculate. We can speculate. Uh, there's three beautifully clear notches on the gr- bottom of the grip. Uh, they're evenly spaced apart. And if I had to imagine, looking at the shape of the uh, the cut into the grip it looks as though a uh, bayonet or uh, some kind of knife has been kind of dug into that to create three clear markings and i think that there's always a possibility that could be three pumpkins that were (laughs) were shot at a uh, you know range day but i don't think so that's a world war one gun and uh, it certainly is showing some signs of you know clear use and the the finish has gone off and and there's probably a very good likelihood uh, that those three uh, notches are three uh, enemy kills. I and, agree with that. And and I, I, you know, like I've always speculated. You know, we may never know the truth about those notches, but I think that it's a safe bet that that gun probably saw uh, time on the battlefield, and uh, it it definitely is one of my favorites. It's just a larger version of the Mark IV, and uh, you know, to to know that. The British complained of recoil <laughs> on a you know, 455. On a 455, like so, it's a really big gun, but it, and it fires a really big, heavy bullet, but it's only moving again at you know 700 or so feet per second, maybe. With the, if that, like I said, if it's that, 50 to seven. That's and it. and so, if you can imagine, you know, for the people out there that understand bullet weights and stuff, if you can imagine a 265 grain yeah. uh, projectile, which is which is pretty heavy, uh, moving along at you know 700 or so feet per second, uh, that would definitely uh, Shatter bones. It would it would make for a really bad day mm-hmm. uh, for anybody. But it, it's it, when you pull the trigger, it's like this light pop that comes out of the gun, and and the gun you know just barely jumps in your hand. Uh, you know, almost. I want to say it's 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 somewhere between a uh, you know a twenty two and and a thirty yeah, a big a heavy thirty eight. Yeah, yeah coming out of a, a large frame gun, and so it doesn't move around a lot. So to hear that they complained about you know <laughs> recoil really says a lot about what they were used to prior to that but like what a, what a great piece and it certainly has provided uh, a lot of enjoyment for me and uh you the know story it tells right yeah like and you know and so for a guy that's really down with the webley design uh you know like do you have a favorite like in, in the whole lineup if you could own any web well I, you know what, hold on i'm not gonna skip. Oh, you can't say that you know i can't say that what, like what, like i mean you 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 got a pretty interesting you know collection going on of these vintage guns i yep. mean there's there's antiques in there mm-hmm. uh you know you got different makes and models with different calibers um there is a a 22 trainer <clears throat> that i made the mistake of letting go this is what my about, what about my mark six you know what what, this one? is this is oh this is this is payback for that you yeah. know a lot of people don't know that story <laughs> but I, i'll tell it one day but but yeah so like you do you have do you have do you have like a favorite model that i own yeah because like people 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 want to collect these things i definitely think that they're worth looking into so they're definitely worth a look yeah yeah you know, classic vintage military uh collectible mm-hmm. and and certainly uh, a real 
real piece of Canadiana. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like Canadian soldiers carried these things. Uh, you know, I believe that, uh, is, am, am I incorrect when I say that even Indiana Jones? Yes. I think, yes, I he think, did. He did. Carry, know, he carried actually one of the guns that I have is a, uh, the Webley green, the Webley government, which is made in 19 or 1896. Yeah. Uh, so classified as, as an antique shoots 476. Okay. Yeah. But a chamber is 455. You can still shoot 455 out okay. of it. And, uh, it's just a beautiful gun. It's a seven and a half inch barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what it has. Eagle grips, um, oh, that bird's bird head? head, that bird head. And it just shoots like a dream, like a dead on target. And that's what Indiana Jones carried. That's yeah. the exact one he had. So like the, these guns, these guns have definitely made it into, you know, popular culture. They've mm-hmm. been seen in cinema. Uh, you know, if you watch any World War One movie or if you're a fan of Peaky Blinders, yes, yes. Uh, you'll see you'll see a lot of oh. Webley action and Peaky oh. Blinders. It's that big ass revolver <laughs> that, you know, people are carrying good guys, bad guys. I mean, like people definitely they definitely were. A, a, it's a really large gun. The Mark Six is a really big huge, gun. Huge it's it's gun. it's yeah, it's it's certainly a. a a valuable collectible today. I remember when they were only a few hundred bucks. Uh, oh, you know, cheap. once, cheap. yeah, like once upon a time, you know, you could pick one of these things up for like thirteen dollars back mm-hmm. in the day. And and in my time, I remember them costing you know one hundred and fifty bucks because they were just an old gun you couldn't find ammo for. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, some of the you know production companies like uh, Fiocchi Fiocchi makes them yep. are making the ammo again. So I mean, you can and you can hand load it. That's the thing that I love about this gun more than anything else. You know, uh, Fiocchi God bless them. They're making the ammo, but they're doing it in small quantities. It's very expensive and if you've ever had to buy it you know that you know a box of 50 costs 75 you, bucks 75 dollars you know it, it, uh, not to knock Fiocchi, you know god bless them they're making it thank you uh but once you get a hold of the brass grab yourself some dyes folks it costs pennies to reload a it. piece to reload it and, and the brass you, lasts forever and and it's really great that way and it's a stubby little uh round that is that's almost like a like a like a shortened uh 45 long colt case with yes, a, yep. you know a slightly turned down rim and and you can even make it. And I know that Tiny Mike has done that. He's uh, he's a bit of a wild man. Uh, he got a little he got a little mad scientist on us. <laughs> and he, he, he did that. I, I He handed me a bunch of casings and said, here, you know what? If you want to use these, try. And I looked at the casings on the bottom and I could see the head stamp said 45 Long Colt. And I said, what did you do? And he had made some of these for me to try. And they, they work just fine. It's 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 really a fun cartridge to reload. And and like I said, pennies around. And and, a, and I mean, there's just something really fantastic when you pull the trigger on a, on a four or five five Webley and the gun pops and just jiggles a little in your hand and you see this giant hole in the yep. paper target. You can actually you know. watch the, the freaking bullet fly. Yeah. You it, watch the bullet it, fly. It, in certain light if you're standing behind the shooter and it, to the to the right slightly or left in certain lights you can actually see the bullet leaving the gun and traveling down range. Mm-hmm. It's actually really fun but it, it really does connect with metal targets with a, authority. Yeah, a punk. Yeah, punk. Yeah. And and it's a lot of fun. Like even, even the smaller shooters and more recoil sensitive shooters i've had um you know youths as young as you know 14 and 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 even younger now that i think about it pull the trigger on these things it's not a very intimidating gun and there's just something about uh pushing that lever and holding onto the barrel and snapping (laughs) it in half and watching this all the casings fly they just fly up in the air in this you know this arc uh all over the place and it's like (laughs) yep we're gonna have to find those to reload (laughs) but but like people really
really love shooting this gun. And as a vintage collectible, I definitely think it has, uh, you know, a lot of value. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that I think the collector should look into. And, and like I said, it has a lot of significance. And if you look for it in cinema, uh, you'll, you'll see it in a Everywhere. lot of places. Everywhere, yeah, a lot yeah, of places. yeah. So, you know, and, and last but not least, because I know you're, <laughs> you're a fan of Revolver designs yes, in general. Yes, yes, yep. Uh, you know, I, I, I brought one other item, uh, out of the deep, out of the bowels of the vault. <laughs> and I know that this is one that uh, has interested you for some time. Yep. And, uh, you know what, what have you, what have I got there for you? Like, what is that? Come on. This is a beautiful, beautiful Colt Python. Yeah. An original Colt Python. I'm not talking the new 2020 stuff. This is the, which one's this, 1980s, I believe? That one, that one, the serial number indicates, I believe, that it was made in 1981. Yeah, and that, that is the, uh, the Target 8-inch barrel model. Yep, yep. And, uh, of course, you know, you look at that bluing, and I'll, uh, I'll pass you this <laughs> very soft, clean cloth. If you own guns like this, folks, uh, the older, you know, Colt firearms, they have this deep, rich bluing that you can kind of lose yourself in if you, if you stare into it long enough. In, in certain lights, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that, that really, to me, uh, represents kind of the pinnacle uh, of, of, you know, finishes on firearms. Colt really had it down pad, man. They used to polish their guns. Uh, to a brilliant finish and then blew them with uh, carcinogenic chemicals yep, that yep. were uh, so unhealthy to be around. A lot of the staff that did them back in the day uh, passed, issues. Passed, passed away from cancer-related issues. And so now I understand that there are companies that uh, can duplicate the process, like Turnbull, great companies yes, like Turnbull. Yes, yep. uh, they, they have a, uh, you know, a bluing process that produces a very, uh, very similar effect. They don't use coal furnaces. Uh, they're using, I believe, gas now. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a very secretive sort of process. I don't even know how it goes. Yeah, but but uh, again, you know, I'm sure that the people who work there get uh, hazard pay and they've uh, worked <laughs> things out with the chemicals which are no longer available today because they're just that bad. But they they produce some really I'm actually looking forward. They invited me to come down to their really? to their plant and do a tour. Would you hey, would you hey, would you do that would, with me? I would definitely come down with you. you. Know, I, 100%. I, 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 I want to turnbull if you're out there and you're listening, <laughs> I, I I'm coming down once this COVID thing is over and I can travel. I'm going to come coming. down. I'm going to come down to the plant. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I've, I've always wanted, they have, you know, case hardening and bluing there that is just like unbelievable. If you've never seen Turnbull product, it's like insane. Second to none. It's second. Oh, they, they, they return, uh, classic vintage firearms to their original state. And I've seen some of their restorations are not, not, not cheap. They're, they're, it's not an inexpensive process. It's not an easy process. No, but then again, if you, if you're buying the kind of firearms and restoring the kind of firearms to their original state, uh, you know, it's, it's going to cost you a little bit, but I'll tell you, man, uh, the work is absolutely gorgeous. You get what you pay for. Yeah. Now, now the Colt Python is known to be one of the finest single action, double action, uh, combat and target style police ultimately was, you know, favored by law enforcement revolvers ever. And, and it's because it had, uh, all its internals polished and hand fitted, and and that's something that you know, of course, um, it was smooth like butter. Oh, like like pull pull watch pull pull give give it, give it a single action, right? Like yeah, and feel feel how light that trigger is. It's like magic. Yeah. Now 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 stroke through quickly the double action. Just can you get over it? Like isn't that uh, unbelievable? It's it's light, eh? 
it's it's like buttery smooth and i mean so it's this gorgeous gun with this insanely smooth trigger pull and uh they, they're known to be very accurate and of course it's chambered in 357 magnum which uh you know can be downloaded to uh, a nice target load or jacked up a little bit you do nice hot load. yeah you got you got to be careful you know the uh the colt guns were known to be a little more delicate than perhaps uh the smith and wessons they like to were. be finessed yeah and but 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 law enforcement really fell in love with them they were originally a target revolver really yeah and then somehow you know they migrated into the police market and uh in, in several forms so that the four inch is actually probably one of the one of the uh well it, it's it's one of the ones here in canada it's not because the four inch is known as a pro hit here yeah. which is really sad because it does diminish the value mm-hmm. uh, of the firearm uh six inch is the one of course that was uh carried by uh, rick grimes in yes, the walking, walking dead. dead so if, if you've ever seen you know that character from that very popular uh series on television you know he's got this a large silver revolver that's a colt python Mm -hmm. and as a result of the popularity that show the values on these firearms have gone through the roof uh you know like these guns were you know about six or seven years ago were only about you know 1800 bucks or 2000 bucks they were they were still you know a a higher end yeah they were still yeah but now like you're hard pressed to find one for less than three thousand less than three grand you know the one that you're holding in your hand currently is probably uh i I would say it'd have a fair market value somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 3,200 bucks. For sure. hundred percent. You know, um, if I were ever to part with it, you know, I, I'm sure I, I could <laughs> work something out for a friend. I, I see the way you're looking at it. Right? You know, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time getting that one back out of your hands. Aren't I, um, you know, I, I've, I've always wanted a four inch one, but unfortunately Canadian law prevents, uh, people that don't have 12, six licensing from, from having one. And, and although, um, you know, through extended collections, I, I could have a, a shorter one, uh, you know, held on to for me and, and owned by somebody else. Technically, um, you know, I've chosen to, 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 to wait to until wait, we, can, yeah, to, until we can change the laws, hopefully. And, and I think that this is something that I really would like to see happen because, like, this gun in its six-inch form is, you know, in that kind of condition, is easily worth $3,500. Oh, for sure. Now, if you come across one that is a four-inch or shorter, because they made them they made them in two-inch variety. Yes, I have and, seen and, 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 an, and an even more rare three. If you can find... I've never seen the Yeah, three. well, you, you won't because they, they made a three-inch python wow. that is apparently, like, hen's teeth rare. Uh, but they, wow. they do exist. They're very, very expensive. They, they far and away are a lot more expensive than these. But uh, I would love to have a two-inch one. Mm-hmm. Or a four-inch one, yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, Canadian law is is set up in such a way that if the barrel length is less than four and a quarter inches, uh, that you're not allowed to be in possession of those items without a twelve-six uh, license, which is no longer issued to people. Nope. So if you had firearms of, of this type prior to a change in law in the mid '90s, um, you know you were allowed to keep them and own them and shoot them. But uh, since that time, uh, you know people have not been able to acquire those licenses. And what I think that people don't understand is that anybody who had those guns so let's say you had a four inch colt python back then and you know it, prior to 95 prior to 90 prior to 1995 if you had that gun today that that four inch model would be worth uh, definitely somewhere in that three thousand uh area but because the market is so small and because the collectors of those firearms are, are passing away um you know those those firearms 
are being destroyed as people pass and or they're not able to be um, transferred handed down, handed, yeah, down. handed down or transferred like I mean anything made after 1947 is not is not able to be handed down I'm told no and so things made before that could be passed down through a special 12-7 licensing but ultimately the shrinking of the market has diminished the value of those items it's a so horrible horrible, horrible. yeah so like if you have a 12-6 license you're considered to be you know this revered sort of uh, person in our firearm community <laughs> because because not only are you allowed to have them but because the market's smaller and the values are lower you actually get to buy guns for like a fraction of what they actually cost uh, yeah so so like a, a Colt Python that should be worth three thousand dollars is suddenly worth six hundred yeah or that well probably a thousand yeah but it's, it, well, you know it's it's one of those guns that still managed to retain its value but when you look at things like the um, you know Colt uh, vest pockets yes, per- perfect yes. example you or know, baby brownings baby brownings so you've got these little semi-automatic pistols that you know um, could be owned by by people here in Canada up to 1995 with a regular restricted license yep. and those items um, you know were, were less expensive than their full-size counterparts but you know had a lot of the same you know craftsmanship and and and, and still smooth yeah and beautiful shoot. beautiful little mini works uh, of art you know miniature versions of the larger larger guns those same firearms today you know are worth like a thousand you know in the US but here they're like 150 it's like it's yep. like the market shrunk to the point that they're worth one tenth of their value so for the people that had them that were allowed to keep them even if they sold them the values were diminished to the point where people wouldn't be worth it yeah people weren't people weren't getting their their money's worth like i mean they they literally had through a change in law the value of their estates diminished substantially and in many cases, you know, upon their passing, they're just destroyed. And I used to see, if you could believe it, buddy, I used to see shopping carts oh, filled stop, with prohibs, you know, brimming with, you know, baby brownings and vest pockets. And, and down. Yeah. And, you know, and I used to sit there just shaking my head saying, like, there's some real great history there. And I mean, it, it's really sad that those items uh, couldn't be part of the restricted class again. And, and I knew what happened back in 1995 before, you know, the internet was a thing Mm -hmm. really, uh, it existed, but it really wasn't being utilized the way it is today. People were convinced, you know, through the media, like, I mean, like these smaller guns of this type, you know, like little Jennings, uh, semi-automatics and, and, you know, little, little baby Browns were being used uh, quite often by, um, gang members and drug dealers and it was because the the guns were less expensive and more easily concealable that somehow uh the media the media and the lawmakers twisted twisted it and much like today you know through through a series of 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 large pushes and, and misconceptions, they convinced the public that these types of guns were being used by gang members, when in fact, um, the legally owned versions of these guns that were, people were owning were collectibles. Mm-hmm. And, and many, you know, um, many firearms of, of real value and collectability and significance historically, like Lugers. Yes, yes. And, you know, some some variations of broom handle Mausers yes, and, you know, the baby brownies, you know, fall into this category. So, so... Drug dealers were using these guns not because they were buying them on the legal market, but because they were more easily concealed, much the same way they are today, yep. and coming up from the United from the States. Yep. 
So illegal guns were being smuggled and they were being selected because of their size. And, and that made them easier to, uh, illegally, yeah, you know, and, and illegally cross the border and, and find their way into, you know, gang members hands. So, you know, all the collectors that had these guns suffered through the diminishing uh, you know, of their values, and it really didn't impact crime at all. And even today, every time I see a, a police evidence photograph and see that the gun was made post-1995 law changes and know that the barrel is only three and a half inches long, and I know that that gun wasn't even being made. You didn't know, even come to Canada. That it never has been uh, available commercially in this country. Uh, to, to, to legal gun owners to know that that's still a problem that's not being addressed and to know that lawmakers are completely sidestepping it and ignoring it. I don't care what anybody says. I, I truly believe at this point the cat's out of the bag and the Trudeau government recognizes that there's a problem at the border and knows that they can't hide it anymore. So they say they're going to work on the uh, illegal smuggling of guns. But the truth is, is that they're still wasting a lot of time, energy and resources dealing with, you know, uh, legal firearm owners and banning guns that we own. It's the same, it's the same nonsense that was going on 22 years ago uh they're punishing legal gun owners and and really the problem has nothing to do with us and more importantly they're not addressing the real issue so you know one of the things that i would lobby for and one of the things i would ask any leader and i and truthfully i i did speak to peter did you talk to him i I spoke i was gonna i was gonna talk to to you about that dude i spoke to peter mckay about it i mean i i wanted to keep it short and the uh, interview we did online was uh you know just a minute and 37 seconds i didn't want to be viewed as taking any kind of sides in all this and i just asked him what can we expect as gun owners uh you know from from you as a leader if you're elected and he answered the question and but we had a lot of talk off camera um, you know, before and after the interview. And I, and I brought this up and I said to him, I said, look, like there's a lot of people that own firearms, you know, in addition to the 12, six class, you know, which could easily be folded back into restricted, into the restricted class. And, 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 and again, you know, collectors could realize the full value of their inheritance, uh, you know, or, or families could realize the full value of their inheritance or people could, you know, um, you know, enjoy Go back the to enjoying them. You yeah, enjoy them. You get yeah. to actually enjoy them. Well, I mean, they, they still get to use 12 six guns, you know, the short barreled guns. They yes. still, they, yeah. th- those they allowed us as a firearm community to continue using, but the values were crushed. Yep. And, and through this process of classification, they, they really did kind of segregate us into smaller groups that could be easily picked on. But the 12 four and five class was something I brought up with them. And I said to him, I said, look, there are people that were caught up in the last series of bans that were affected, you know, wrongfully, uh, you know, through through this poor legislation that was enacted, you know, 22 years ago. People were allowed to keep them uh, through grandfathering these rifles and, 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 and prohibited firearms, but they were forbidden from taking them to the range the same way they do anything else they legally own. Couldn't even leave the house. Can't, can't leave the house. So so basically you could have, you know, an, an item like, um, you know, a Styrog, mm-hmm. you know, a, a semi-automatic only uh, HK MP5. Yep. And, you know, you've got these things sitting, you know, wasting away in your, your safe or your vault, but you're not allowed to legally take them to the range, but you're allowed to own them and possess them, but not use them and enjoy them the way you had paid taxes on them to do so for. So I I asked him, I said like flat out, like, like, look, there are people that own these things. They were caught up in the last series of bans. They, they own them legally. We're not talking about full auto stuff. Yes, now. Yeah. Anything semi-auto that's legally owned uh, and was legally obtained and owned by Canadians, you know, that haven't been allowed to use them for years. You know, is it possible that we could re-examine the possible, you know, revisit the yeah, possibility yeah. of allowing those people to once again enjoy their property, you know, if you're elected? 
And I got to tell you, I was very pleased with his answer. I'm not going to say what it is because it was, <laughs> it was off camera, but I got I got to tell you, I was very pleased with his answer. That's good to hear. And, uh, you know, for all the people out there that would paint him up to be anti-gun, I got to tell you, I, I didn't get that feeling at all. And, uh, certainly that was a long time ago. What he well, said. well, you know what, what, what he said, there was certainly a different environment back then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, exactly, uh, exactly what was said is, is the subject of much mm-hmm. debate. Uh, certainly the terms semi-automatic and automatic were very interchangeable back then. Uh, you know, the <clears throat> late 90s and uh, early 2000s were uh, uh, a time of, of pure ignorance as it related to Very, the virus. And, yeah. and something that, you know, podcast Brian and I discussed as recently as yesterday, it certainly was a, a different environment back then. And uh, people had a very limited understanding. The firearm community um, really hadn't blossomed the way it is now. now. It's yeah. now yeah. You know, there's so many people that are enjoying competitive shooting, three gun shooting, you know, you know, Ipsic, you know, like, I mean, it's really grown. Wild uh, West shooting. Yeah. Like I love the cowboy <laughs> stuff. Right? The cowboy I love stuff. the cowboys. I, like, honestly, I would use a Webley for some cowboy stuff. <laughs> I, I would be, I would be that idiot out there with a flat holster. You know, crack it open. I would oh try and my get God. myself a speed loader for them, but I like I, I really actually you know love the design much like you do. But yep. uh, again, nobody will ever come close to the, web, know, to the Webley guy. Sorry, sorry, Tiny Mike. Oh yeah. <laughs> actually, you know what? I'm gonna get. I'm you know I'm gonna try and get you and he. Both out. of us. Yeah, oh, it'll, it'll yeah. get heated. It'll you know, get you think, heated. You think you think you can manage that with? We can me? do that. All right. We can well, do that. you know what? We're gonna coordinate that sometime soon. <laughs> I uh, gotta thank you for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. No, no, always great seeing you, buddy, and uh, you're. Uh, Definitely one of those relationships that uh, I, I really do cherish. And uh, you know, you're, agree, always, you're, you're always a wealth of knowledge and I uh, love talking to you about the guns. So it's really good to have you here. Thank you so much for joining no us. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Right on. Okay. Well, folks, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, latest episode of the Canadian Gun Vault Behind the Vault Door. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on uh, YouTube and on Instagram. And as always, Canada, don't forget to shoot straight. Stay safe. <laughs>